0: Good morning, First Service. Hey, that sounded okay. Let's try again. Good morning, First Service. Hey, if you guys don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor here. And for those of you who might be like, the first time here, because you're like, man, I came to watch a niece or a nephew, and they're just now getting to the sermon. We're going to be here to like one. I promise you, I'm going to shorten this thing up for you today. All right? Hey, how about those kids this morning, huh? Huh. It's appropriate that the kids were up here singing because today we are still in our advent series and we are hitting the fourth word which is joy and what a joyful noise all those kids tried yelling out today yeah <laughs> Well as we go into the sermon this morning the last couple of weeks we've been talking about advent and that has been Mary's song with hope Zechariah's song with love and the angel's song with peace and for those who don't know what advent is it's a time of waiting as waiting on the birth of Jesus, And so these are these four qualities we talk about with Advent, and this morning we're going to talk about joy. But however, we've tied all these words to a song from the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, so this song is not a common one that we see today. It is the song of Simeon, and some of you might not even know that Simeon's actually in the birth narrative story of Jesus. But as we look at the song today, and how it correlates with this word joy... I have a question for everybody, and this is going to take audience participation this morning. Audience participation, right? There are two camps of people. There are the Cindy Lou Who's in the world, and there's the Scrooges in the world. So, this holiday season, let's see how we're doing. If you need to know what camp you fall into, if you're a Cindy Lou Who, you have been listening to Christmas music since Halloween was over, and it brings you great joy, also, you have 12 places to go to for Christmas, and you're excited about each and every one of them. All of your shopping's been done. Cats of Cindy Lou Who's. Maybe you're a Scrooge, and maybe when Christmas music plays, even an hour before Thanksgiving happens, you roll your eyes in absolute disgust, because you know that you are right. <laughs> hey, hey, somebody knows where I'm at. Or maybe you're like, oh my goodness, we got six family dinners to go to, and crazy Aunt Linda's going to have this family tradition we've been doing for years, and no one understands it or likes it. I have to sit next to this aunt or uncle that smells like mothballs. This is horrible. (laughs) Maybe that's who you are. So let's poll the audience. If you find yourself in the Cindy Lou Who group, when I give you the count of three, you're going to yell out, you can't hurt Christmas, because that's her famous quote. But if you're a Scrooge, you're going to yell out, let's try it. Who do you think you going to yell out? Good. All right. Everybody knows what they're doing. You can't hurt Christmas or buy a humbug. Let's try this. On three. One, two, three. Oh, my gosh. Scrooges were in trouble in this room. <laughs> There's a bunch of way too excited people in here. Church, as we dive into this word joy this morning. The month of December is a great magnifier. And and what I mean by that, no matter which of these camps you fall in, this just happiness beyond belief or this, no, I do not like this holiday, it gets magnified because of this month. No matter what emotions we're facing, for some reason they're to the 10th degree because we know what this month holds. It's talking about family. Family. Figuring out where you're going for Christmas, figuring out what presents to buy—it's every stress you could put on your relationship, your marriage, your family—all rolled into one month. And on top of that, maybe you're trying to hit quotas at work. December is a great magnifier of where we are at with this emotion. And for some of you in the Cindy Lou Who camp, I want to call you out for a second. So you're like, "Oh, Chase, I have so much joy. Is it real? Is it real? Is it real joy?" I, I believe that one's real. <laughs> Talking to people a little bit older than that one. Is it real? Or is it, no, I need to put on this face because I just, I want it to be joyful. I want this joy. Maybe some of you are in the Scrooge camp and be like, hey, Chase, you can say all you want, but you don't know what I've gone through this year. I have every right to not be happy this month and to absolutely hate this month. It's true. For some of you, maybe this year has brought loss of life. For some of you, maybe this year you don't have a Christmas, another Christmas with a dad, a mom, a grandparent, a child. Maybe the cancer diagnosis came back. Maybe you thought this would be the first Christmas you got to experience with a child, and that's not happening. Maybe there was job loss, maybe there was divorce. everybody in the room is like, holy cow, this is really bad. <laughs> Guys, this is real. I get this. Maybe that's where we're at. Because it has been that kind of year, and I don't want to be joyful. There's nothing in my life that brings me joy. And the other half is maybe like, "Hey, Chase, Chase, I'm trying to get through this, so leave my fake joy alone. And, and to both sides of this camp, I want you to hear me. Maybe we just don't understand what the definition of joy is is. Because we get joy confused with another word. That word we get joy confused with is happiness. And happiness is temporary. It's fleeting. It comes and it goes. But joy is this. Here's a great definition of joy. A delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure, gift from God, and like any gift, it can be experienced in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. So to those of you feeling like there is no joy this Christmas, because maybe you've had a bad year, it's been a bad season, this sermon this morning is for you. So please hear it. Because what joy I'm talking about this morning is irrational joy. And irrational joy is what Jesus brings. Irrational joy. Now you might be in this room this morning saying, hey, I came here to watch a kid sing, I really don't want to hear about Jesus, I'm not not in this camp, I don't believe this, I, I don't want to go down that road, and to you I want to say this, that's okay, and I'm glad that you're here. Because the stories that we're looking at this morning from the Gospel of Luke, Luke is a genius of a writer. And he gives two accounts of this birth of Jesus, because what Luke knows is in any Credible case in judicial law of the first century, you had to have two witnesses that were reputable. And so Luke does that. And I'm so glad he does. Because for a lot of us, maybe it's like, it's hard to believe this is real. And Luke foresaw that and said, hey, here is case in point, two witnesses of what's going on that you're not used to hearing. It's not the angels' accounts. It's not the shepherds. It's not the wise men. We're gonna look at two people today that give witness to this birth of a Savior. So here's what happens. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, so eight days later, so eight days after Jesus was born, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the given name by, by the angel before he was conceived. Verse 22, then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offer to the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, you can read that and be like, there's a lot in there I don't understand. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. First off, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your neighbor. All right, <laughs> moving on. Next thing, you look in this text, you're like, all right, what does this mean to be purified, all of this? What you need to know is that this tells us that Mary and Joseph were devout religious people. They're following what's been told to them as being strong Jews. This is what they're to do, all right? That's what you need to know from that text. Two things about that that's funny, though. From where Jesus was born in Bethlehem to Jerusalem, all right, eight days later, it is a six-mile walk. Now, moms in here that have had children— Eight days would you want to do a six-mile walk with your baby? How's that, how fun does that sound? Dad's probably like, oh, this is awful. And you have nothing to complain about. <laughs> and then what about the sacrifice they have to make? What does that even mean? What that means, if they were blessed with a son as their first child, they should sacrifice to God giving thanks. And the fact that they sacrificed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, what that tells us is Mary and Joseph did not have that much money. Because if they did, they'd be sacrificing a lamb and a dove instead of the two birds. So there's a couple things from there. Now, while they're doing this sacrifice, they meet someone who doesn't get much credit in this Christmas story. His name's Simeon. So let's see what happens with this guy. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27 That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light. To reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. Now, there are sometimes when we read scripture, we think there's like all, like narration going on as the characters are walking. Like as Mary and Joseph walk in the temple, it's like you know Morgan Freeman in the sky is like and someone will grab your child. Mom's in here. Literally, they walk in, and some random old guy grabs her infant. I don't know about their culture, but in our culture, I don't know if that would go over well. When's the last time he walked to Walmart and he saw some like, random older person? Like, oh, hey, here's a child. Oh, what a cute baby. This is what happens in this story. And without missing a beat, he starts praising God. Now, what we need to know about Simeon is he's not just a devout man, but he's a prophet. God has given him wisdom about this child. And then we see this irrational joy in his response. Irrational joy. What do I mean by irrational joy? He was promised that he would not die until he'd seen the Savior. Seize him. And instead of most human nature's response of being, all right, I've seen the Messiah. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. He responds with, all right, I've seen the child. Kill me now. That's what he does. Take me now. He's just overjoyed about the moment of the Savior. He realizes his life's complete, and I'm good to go. Irrational joy. Verses 33 and 35. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Hold up. Imagine being Mary in that moment. All of a sudden, the first thing that Simeon says is, Hey, sovereign Lord, I have seen your salvation. And Mary's like, all right, this is awesome. This is what the angel said. It's all right. It's all good. And then this dude closes with and a sword will pierce your very soul. Can we just go back a couple sentences and not say the rest? What's happening here is this man is looking at this child, and he is seeing hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy that's been foretold about him. And what he's telling Mary is, yes, Many will rise and many will fall. Some will oppose him. And he, this will pierce your heart. Because church joy is present in times of pain and conflict. Because the thought behind the coming Messiah from everyone on the scene right now in the first century was, Hey, Jesus is going to come, bring restoration, kick Rome out of our land, and this is going to be a great time. And what's been prophesied is, no, he is going to reconcile us with God. And maybe that looks different, but that should bring us this irrational joy, even though we're going to face all this pain and conflict. Which is what he's saying to Mary. In verse 34 and 35, he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. I mentioned earlier, as Simeon was holding Jesus, he probably saw everything had been written about this child. But it's also probably a good forewarning to Mary. You're going to watch something bad happen. You're going to see something happen to your son that no mom should ever have to see. And in fact, the words that Simeon's coming with right here, he probably gets from Isaiah 53, which says this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And then in verse 10, Isaiah says, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many To be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. Church, that is hundreds of years before Jesus is born that Isaiah prophesies this. And this is what Simeon is talking about. Why this is called irrational joy is we are joyous about a child that is going to be nailed to a cross, stripped, beaten to make us whole. That's irrational joy. Irrational joy. And that should make us happy. Some of you might be like Chase, I still don't get irrational joy. I don't I don't know how to be I don't know how to like correlate this with my life. Well, let's go this way. Parents in here. Parents in here. Remember that joy you felt when you were pregnant with your first child and awaiting that birth to happen. The joy you felt, even though that kid was going to be a monster to your schedule, was going to take all your money, was going to cause you grief, sorrow, and you were going to cry yourself to sleep every night. And that's just the moms in the room. And those first couple months where you beg God, God, just please let me have an hour of sleep. And God responded, I gave you someone next to you to help you. Well, he's not helping. (laughs) That's the irrational joy I'm talking about. That's irrational. We're super excited about this gift of birth, but it doesn't give us all the great things right away. It's the same thing. We look at something that's going to cause us pain and trouble, but it brings us joy because of what it does in the end. Because just like what Simeon saw when he saw Jesus, he saw salvation. Because to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. And that should bring us irrational joy. But he was not alone. I said earlier that Luke is a very smart man. Gave two accounts, two witnesses, and that is Simeon's song. And the next person, there's someone right there with Simeon who runs up, Anna, a prophet. Verse thirty-six was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, a couple things to note. Number one, we just realized that the temple is kind of like the first century senior center. All right, So everyone's there that's older. And so Anna comes out, and she's like, hey, she's excited. And what to know about Anna is she had been a widow for so long. Actually, the text says she'd only been married for seven years. Why is that important? I love that Luke gives us this kind of context. Because in the first century, let's say she got married older. So let's say she got married at 17, all right? Because that would have been older in the first century. That means she lost her husband at 24, which means if she is now 84, she was a widow for 60 years. Some of you in here might be in that predicament. You might be in that place in life. You have lost your loved one, you're a widow or widower. And I can't even imagine how you handle that. But what I can tell you is this one. Anna has been a widow for 60 years and she came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and she began praising God. Been a widow for six years and she's praising God. Living at the temple day and night, praying, praying and fasting. For those of you in here that love history, let me tell you what things that this woman would have saw in her life. If she is 84, around the time of Jesus' birth, if I place Jesus' birth between, you know, 0 and 3 A.D., if I place it there, here's the thing she saw or heard about. She heard about the assassination of Julius Caesar. She was alive and there in Jerusalem when Pompey conquered Jerusalem and slaughtered thousands of people. She was there for the installation of Herod as king over the lands, who was not a Jew, who was from Edom, and hated people. And then she also saw in her own religion, in Judaism, she saw the rise of two different groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees. I say all that to say this. There's really nothing going on in this woman's hand to be joyful about. And maybe that's where you are right now. I can't explain away the things that have happened to us. I understand you might be hurt. I understand you might be broken. I understand there might be bad things that happened in your life. And yeah, there's things not to be happy about. But man, that should not hinder our joy. Because notice what she does. Luke 2, 38, she says this. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Here's how she's different from Simeon. Simeon was a prophet who knew this was happening. was super excited that he saw it because he's like, "All right, hey, I know my time is done. I've got to see the Messiah." Anna didn't have that promise. Here's how she's different. So instead of being like, All right, "God, take me now," she is telling everyone about it. She's telling everyone, "Hey, the child has come. This Jesus has come," and that's what we should do. Because it brings irrational joy. And maybe you're like, I'm not there yet. I'm still dealing with my own pain, my own suffering. I'm still covering it all with my fake joy. And you expect me to just go out and tell people this is a joyful thing? Man, Jesus, I need more time. I need to work on this some more. I want to give you this. Eugene Peterson writes this. Joy is what God gives us, not what we work up to. Joy is what God gives us, not what we work up to. You guys remember the definition of joy I gave you at the beginning? Gift from God can be experienced in the midst of extreme difficulty and circumstances. This irrational joy we have should be one of the first things that people see in us. Before you think I'm lecturing you, I'm lecturing myself. I'm up here giving the message on the Advent word of joy. Joy is not probably one of the top ten words that people would describe me with. All right? Probably brutal honesty is number one. But how often do we show joy? Some of you are probably doing pretty good at it. So I'm not talking to you right now. I'll only ask if, you're, if it's real for you. Everybody else, how are we doing with this? When people see us, they're like, man, I wonder what they have. Man, they must have got a new boat. Man, they must be doing something right. They must have got a great bonus at work. When people see us, they look at us and be like, man, I get it. You look how I feel. Is that how we are? For those of you in here that say, yeah, I mean, I belong to Jesus. I mean, I've given my life to this. Is that's not okay. Irrational joy should be one of the first things people see in us. Paul writes it this way. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul's is a, a, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. He puts it this way in his letter to the church of Philippi. So in Philippians chapter 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Yeah, not a fan of those words, but they're there. Always be full of joy in the Lord. You know what that means? Some of us will look at that and say, oh, that means contentment. It means I should be content. That's true, but that's the baseline. The baseline is no matter what goes on in my life, no matter what happens, no matter what life throws at me, I have contentment in knowing I belong to God. Yep. That's the baseline. That's that is that is the most shallow level we can be at. That's okay. What it really should be is, hey, no matter what's happened, all this stuff that I'm dealing with, man, I'm excited about Jesus. Man, I'm excited that he came as this infant in a manger. And then 30, 33 years later, died for me. Man, I don't care what else life has at me. I have that. I'm good. That's the joy. And it's irrational. It's irrational because no matter what else life hands you, it has no effect. Because you have something greater. i close with this. This irrational joy is for all of us because we were waiting on a savior of the light of the world to come in, and it happened. Now, two things I want you to get from this. Two things. First thing, Simeon's song refers to God's plan to show his people he's there for them, because all these people were waiting on the Messiah, and Simeon's like, hey, it's come. It's happened. All the prophecy you've ever known, it is now being fulfilled right in front of you. And the second thing is God sent his son for everyone. Do not miss the people in the birth narrative. A teenage couple, lowly shepherds, three kings that are wise men that are probably not Jewish, are all main characters in this story. Whoa, where's the high priest? Where's all these religious leaders? And what God is saying is, hey, this is for everyone. Enough of this. This is for you, 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 me. Because God has sent his son to rescue the world. So church, as we talk about Advent, we have waited And it's happened. Love, hope, peace. And for some of you, maybe you need to hear me say it this way. In the midst, it's all that's happened this year, this season. Even if you've lost someone, family doesn't look the same, split families. I hope. You can find the joy. That's irrational. That can only be found in Jesus. We're going to close here in a song in a minute. And as we do, if you've never known him, if you've never known this Jesus, and you're like, man, I heard what Jay said, and I mean, my life is in shambles, but I know I need something. There's a couple things. If you just need prayer, if you just need someone to talk to, we're going to have prayer workers up on the front walls over here, each side. Go see one of them. They're wearing a lanyard that says prayer, uh, and just talk with them. But if you're here this morning, and maybe you came just to watch a kid sing, like, man, I want to know more about this. Please see Pastor Paul at Connection Central. See Pastor Jason, even though he's not preaching, I promise you, he is working today. Um, or see myself out front. Pastor Daniel's here too as our student pastor. If you have a student that wants to talk to him, don't miss that opportunity. Because, yes, Advent is waiting. But, church, the wait is over, and you don't need to wait any longer to have a rational joy. Let's pray. My Father, we're just so glad we can be here this morning. God, as we end our time of the message, God may. May words just hit us. God, may we have joy, myself included. May I know that I should have irrational joy that I have Jesus, that you sent us your Son. God, the holidays, as we look around and we say, man, these, this is not fun sometimes. There's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. God, through all the stress, all the chaos, may we remember we have you. God, for those in the room that honestly feel just utterly alone. I don't have houses to go to. I don't have people to hang out with. May we feel and know that your presence is there. May we have joy. Pray us all in your name. Amen.